Like really, really big muscular guy, oiled down, playing a saxophone in front of a fire. When I hear this song, because that was a scene in the movie many, many, many years ago called Lost Boys. Jason Patrick, Keeper Sutherland, Corey Feldman, Corey Hain. Who was the girl? The same girl from uh, Lessons Zero, I think, right? Jamie Gertz. Jamie Gertz, yeah. I just watched that movie last night. Lost Boys? It was great. Zero. Oh, Lesson Zero. Boy, yeah. is that, uh, wow, is that a downer? That movie's a downer, yeah. Oh, Julian, God. Julian. But um, we said this before, Robert Downey Jr., what an actor. And in the end, it was basically Howard Stern, Private Parts. He played himself. That's a great song. So right now in Israel, it's uh, 3.16 in the afternoon. I don't know about you, Justin, birthday boy Justin, folks. Today, Justin Ellick's 28th birthday, but... I feel pretty damn good considering that last week we operated every day like this, seven hours ahead. Yeah. No, I feel like I woke up this morning and I felt like I slept till noon. Yeah, me too. It's weird. Yeah. So it's weird. like 316 there, and we would have done two hours, and I would have gone yeah. downstairs to that really good burger place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to eat before the show. <laughs> I got to eat before the show. Well, I ate there every day. I had a burger sandwich, a chicken sandwich, yeah. until Dove went out and bought falafel on Thursday oh, for that everybody. Was, that was unbelievable. Yeah. It's a beautiful studio, JNS Studios uh, there in Jerusalem. And, of course, the CEO, Alex Trayman, has now become one of my best friends. And him and his uh, lovely wife, what a beautiful lady, Tippy, had us over for Shabbat dinner. Last Friday night, uh, the night before we left, he's got uh, beautiful kids, five of them, and um, three boys and uh, two girls. And it was just a great dinner. It was just a terrific night. And here he is, the man that uh, gave us his studios for the week and has been coming on this show since October the 7th, doing a terrific job, my dear friend Alex Trayman. Alex, good morning, buddy. How are you? Sid, good morning. How are you? It's a little bit quiet over here, I must say. Yeah, I know. We, uh, I know a, a bunch of folks in there. Like I said, uh, Ryan and Dove and Avia were all talking about the energy that uh, me and Justin brought to the studio. So, so admit, you do miss that just a little, yes? Oh, man, we had so much fun while you were here. It was a great time, and, and the fun uh, continued. I just want to thank you, you and Sippy, so much for that beautiful dinner on Friday night and the, the prayers and then the tour reading that you did where you said such beautiful things about me actually had me crying. Uh, she's a, a wonderful cook, and your family, they're all good-looking and nice, and 
you know, Mordecai, that, uh, I'm going to take that kid to a nickname one of these days. So thank you so much for Friday night. My family loved it. Yeah, thank you. You have a beautiful family as well, and I'm glad that they got to experience this trip with you. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did enjoy it, and, um, you know, they had their ups and downs. Like I said, Ava started to cry when that bomb went off. Uh, she was literally three-quarters of a mile from Gaza. It was scary. I'm not going to lie. I was there, too. But overall, it was just a magnificent trip, and we're actually looking forward to making plans to getting back again sometime maybe this summer as quick as possible. But one of the conversations you and I had in your apartment that night, Alex, was about Bibi Netanyahu because, look, I love him, and uh, I know that October 7th it was a bad job by Israeli intelligence and obviously Hamas and these animals pulled off what they wanted to do and, and did it for many, many hours. But, again, there's lots of people out there like me that still love him. And you said to me, Sid, slow down before before you think BB is definitely out. Slow down just a little bit. So explain to my audience why you think maybe BB is not definitely on his way out. Well, meanwhile, Netanyahu has a war to fight. Uh, and we're in the middle of an uh, intensive campaign in, in Gaza, the they're doing a great job, but there's still a lot of work to do before they finally get Hamas's remaining leaders uh, killed or captured. And there's still 136 hostages in there. And, uh, you know, Netanyahu has said that very publicly that they will there will be a time for looking at and and um, calculating the failures that led up to October 7th. But you don't do that in the middle of war. And now, meanwhile, uh, as you've mentioned many times, uh, there is a, a looming war with Hezbollah at Israel's north, which is probably a much more difficult military campaign than what we're facing in Gaza. And, and this is a, a tinderbox, which is likely to, to explode any day into full-on conflict. Uh, and meanwhile, the United States, the Biden administration, you know, I, I must say, you know, we were we were hesitant uh, to to pass judgment on the Biden administration. You didn't you didn't wait so long, <laughs> and uh, it looks like you are you are correct because uh, now the the colors of the Biden administration are being shown. Um, you know they they've uh, put sanctions now on the residents in Judea and Samaria, um, and which just happened this week. But but more importantly than that, um, they've been pushing hard that the outcome of this conflict with Gaza must be a two-state solution. Uh, you know, and uh, Israel had this formula, it was called land for peace, and uh, now we recognize that the U.S. was lying the whole time, that they didn't care whether the Palestinians gave Israel peace or not. They just want to see uh, the country, the state of Israel, divided into two pieces uh, for the creation of a Palestinian state. And uh, Netanyahu is really... The only leader, I think, that uh, is qualified, you know, and has the the moxie to stand up to this intensive uh, United States pressure. Uh, and I think that as long as they keep pressuring uh, for something that really no Israeli wants, um, that uh, he's actually in 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 a good place. Uh, you know, and and his opponents are not going to be so fast to try to push him out of office uh, if they know that the second that they push him out of office, that the pressure is going to be on their shoulders to create a Palestinian state, which is something that the Israeli public will never forgive them for if they do. But there is uh, there are some people that have said to me in the criticism of Netanyahu that he's still not conservative enough. Yes, he, um, he has done a tremendous job, no doubt about it, and I think he'll do a terrific job now with this war, despite what happened October the 7th. But correct me if I'm wrong, there, there's a bunch of Israelis that don't think he's conservative enough. Is that right? 
That, that's right. He's probably the, the most liberal member of his right-wing government right now. And uh, the irony here is that while the international community tries to peg Netanyahu as being an extreme right-winger, and the reason why they do that is because he has found it more comfortable to sit with coalition partners from, from Israel's right. Uh, and they, they call him a, a hard right-winger, but really, if you ask anybody on the right in Israel, they'll tell you he's very much a centrist. And, uh, they, they, you know, he, he always campaigns, uh, you know, on a hard right-wing platform and then push come to shove. He comes into office and he, he really does he really does try to thread the needle and, and balance all the pressures and ends up winding up in the middle. You know, Alex, uh, last week I made the comparison between D.B. and uh, Trump, and um, now uh, I know that uh, you appreciate Trump. You've been on record saying many times that he did for Israel. No one did before. No one will do again. And I think uh, the more that uh, I'm proven right about Biden, the more you're even going to like Trump even more. But you did say the difference is that uh, it's hard to argue that Netanyahu probably more stately, but the truth is that they're both, uh, you know, very pro-Israel, and they both get stuff done. And, of course, Trump lost to Biden last time, if you believe the election wasn't rigged, because there's just too many Democrats in this country. If you could, give me the makeup of Democrats versus Republicans, or left versus right, really, not Republicans, left versus right among the people in Israel. Yeah, I think it's important to say left versus right as opposed to Republican versus Democrat, because those things just have different meanings here. Uh, But this last election... Netanyahu formed a right-wing government with 64 members of a 120-seat parliament, okay? And uh, the left-wing in Israel, by contrast, only had 46 seats, uh, with Arabs getting the remaining 10 seats. So, you know, if you take the Arabs as a a block and you you just take them out of the equation because they're not right-wing nor left-wing, and they're they're not Jewish, and they're not pro-Israel, and they're not Zionists or any of that— but if you look at the right wing versus left wing, you have an 18-seat gap uh, between the right wing and the left wing, which by all accounts is, was, a, was a landslide. You know, this is a country that is a majority right wing country. And you know, as we were talking about uh, last week, you know, we said that uh, a, you know, a conservative in America is, is a liberal who's been mugged. Uh, and <laughs> back here in the 90s, there was a lot of people that were willing to go ahead with the land for peace formula, even though in their hearts they knew it was a bad idea because they just thought, well, what else can we do? And we really don't want to roll over Palestinians uh, here. But, you know, we've been mugged again and again and again and again. And, and there, there's just not that many people in this country that, that think that a, a two-state solution, uh, which is the primary measure between left and right in this country, that, that think that uh, a left, uh, two-state solution is plausible at all right now. You know, you mentioned there's still 136 hostages. I heard some reporter read something in Israel before I left, and I was still there, maybe Saturday, that talked about 100 hostages. They just eliminated 36. And there's a a growing consensus of people that think a lot of these hostages, including the babies, are dead. Are we sure that number is at 136? It was 136 bodies that uh, were that intelligence understood were taken into Gaza and haven't yet been returned. Um, but they don't, they're not saying how many of those 136 are, are alive. And it's assumed that probably as many of, as a quarter or a third of them are, are not alive right now. You know, you talked about this uh, growing chance every day of uh, all-out war in the north with Hezbollah coming out of Lebanon, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I said it a, a bunch of times in Israel last week, too, and 
very anecdotally, hanging out with uh, Yehuda and Aaron, other kids who live there, you know, they talked about the real possibility that if that war does erupt in the north, they're going to feel it where you are in Jerusalem. You know, they're maybe shutting off electricity and water, and it could really be a disaster for the for the whole country. You know, right now the, the Gaza war has basically been kept to the south. You guys in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, you're okay. But people seem to think if war breaks out in the north, the whole country will be affected and not in a good way. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be much more serious, and, and the rockets pose a much greater threat. The Qassam rockets that Hamas has are very rudimentary rockets. Obviously, they can go a uh, significant distance, you know, 40 kilometers, some up to 100 kilometers, but they're basically projectiles that you just shoot in a direction, and, and Hamas just hopes for the best wherever it hits. And uh, Israel's uh, Iron Dome system basically is able to determine if it's going towards a population center. If it's not, going towards a population center. The Iron Dome just lets it hit into a field. Uh, and if it's going towards uh, citizens, then the Iron Dome basically shoots them out of the sky with close to 95% proficiency. So, you know, even though there are sirens that go off and people are running to the shelters, uh, the number of rockets that have hit on the ground uh, in Israel, it, it's it's very few. I mean, I, I don't even know if it's if it's been one percent of the rockets that have been fired to to be to be certain. But uh, for Hezbollah, they have a much more sophisticated arsenal, and they also have uh, with long range and some precision guided rockets that can target specific uh, strategic targets uh, in Israel. But they also have so many more rockets and more and more sophisticated launchers that if they started firing in in rapid fire sequence that there's no amount of iron dome and david sling and arrow which are the more sophisticated missile defense systems that israel has that can shoot these things down there's a big fear that the that these systems can be overrun if they start firing uh, so wow. it, it's it's a big threat wow and did i hear the number correct about 150,000 missiles pointed towards Israel, Alex, as you and I speak right now? Correct, at least. Wow. And um, if they want a strategic uh, target, if they want a civilian target, whether it's Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or Netanyahu or Haifa, they can hit it, right? No problem. Well, I mean, that's the world. Hopefully yeah. we're not, we're not going to find out, but they're going to try. Wow. Well, listen, uh, we got to keep having these conversations all the time. First of all, uh, one of my, my favorite stories uh, that happened in Israel was, and uh, John Katzmatidis, who you know, Alex, he owns this station. He's a great man here. John is very close with my cousin, Norm Coleman. I love that. And I'm very close with Norm, who was the mayor of St. Paul for eight years out of Minnesota, was a senator in Minnesota. So one day uh, last week, Josh Kasten did an interview with me for your site, JNS.org, and it was great. And I got a text message the following morning in Israel from Norm, and it's the story. And I go, how'd you get this, Norm? I didn't send it to him. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, every morning I wake up, whether I'm in Minnesota, Virginia, or Naples, and I read JNS. He says, I'm very good friends with the publisher, and it's it's wonderful. I read JNS every morning. So I came back to you and said, hey, you know, my cousin, of course, you know my cousin, Norm. So how about that? That's a great story, Alex. Yes. Well, you know, he's one of a million people that are reading the site every month, and uh, I can tell you policymakers and influencers and, and regular readers are, are reading JNS uh, on a daily basis and are using it to actually inform their, their policymaking decisions. So, you know, it's, it's an important news site, and it's giving people 
uh, a point of view that they're not going to get from a lot of the progressive biased media, both in the Jewish world and, and all this anti-Israel uh, mainstream media that people are reading, like the New York Times and the BBC and CNN and everything else. So it's it's a very, very important service. And uh, certainly the folks at Republican Jewish Coalition, like Norm Coleman and Matt Brooks and others, you know, they, they've understood the value of our service. JNS.org, folks, check it out today. If you really want to know what's going on, that is the site you go to. And I look forward to many more of these conversations, getting back, seeing you, Chippy, and the family. Uh, your dear friend at this point, Alex Trayman, thank you so much. Likewise, feelings mutual. Thanks so much, Seth. Take care. Alex Trayman, the CEO of JNS. Once again, that's where we did our show from last week, four days in their studios in Jerusalem.